The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where this week is every week for work and super hard to make sure that you have the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And I'm just going to dispense with all the usual announcements, although I will have a big ask for you listeners who have made investments in your self-directed IRAs or other people's a little later in the show. Uh, but uh, I'm just going to get out of the way because we got a lot of people tuned in right now to hear from my guest today, Robin Thompson, the queen of rehab. Everybody is super anxious to know what Robin thinks of the current uh, rehab resale market, the current real estate market, how to, how to, push those challenges aside and get to the big, big bucks that the folks who are successfully finding deals and contractors and supplies are actually making. So joining us from her home near Orlando, Florida, Ms. Robin Thompson. Robin, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hey, Vina. Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Uh, And I appreciate you being here. So what you've been doing for the last 18 months... (laughs) Well, uh, obviously not traveling the world speaking much. Uh, doing a lot of rehabs, which is a good thing. I mean, the biggest challenge, obviously, is finding good deals. They're out there, but you got to know how to how to find them where no one else is looking. And then, uh, you know, big challenge is obviously finding the materials to get it done. But once you learn your ins and outs on that uh, and you get it finished, it's easy to sell it for sure and at top dollar. So the profits are much higher. I mean, many of the houses are worth a lot more when you get them done than you originally thought when you bought them. So it's got its pros and cons. You just got to make lemonade out of lemons right now. Yeah, and, and it's it's not like this is the first challenging market you've ever been in. It's a different kind of challenging no. market. But, I mean, you, no. were, you were rehabbing houses back in 06 and 07 when, when you know, there was a similar kind of um, a lot of speculators out in the market overpaying for properties things got kind of insanely priced and of course it crashed and burned and you got to go through that market where deals were simple finding contractors was easy as pie and then selling them at the end was was the hard part so it's always it's always about figuring out you know how to adjust your business right because you've been doing this that entire time yeah it's been 25 years that i've been in this and you know I will take this market over the 2008-9 recession, depression, whatever you want to call it market. Um, you know, once you know how to find deals, and I mean, I, like you, do a lot of direct mail, and 
deal with sellers who need to sell, you know, people in the middle of divorce or bankruptcy or, you know, somebody that's moved far away and they really don't want a rental property anymore. Once you know how to find them, um, that seems to be the challenging part for the beginners. And then once you've got a good one, I mean, you can get materials. You just got to plan for it. Um, you know, and I'm telling students right now, stay away from the really big rehabs that need everything. Mm. And my last rehab, three and a half months, we waited for windows because I got caught right in the middle as COVID started on a real big one. But uh, the good news is it went up a lot. It went up almost $100,000 by the time I got it done. So, you know, you can cry over spilled milk all you want, but <laughs> with the prices climbing and not enough supply of houses and more buyers when we got properties, it's all good on the backside for sure. Yeah, yeah. And what we're really going to try and do during this 42 minutes that we have together is is unpack a lot of stuff that you just said really fast because right. <laughs> you just you just named all of the challenges that we're hearing all of the members of all areas talk about and then threw in some some quick advice and we really want to kind of dig down into some of these systems that you have put in place because I I know it they're it, it's you're, you're probably running a different business right now than you were even two years ago in terms of how yep. much planning you have to do, how far ahead you have to work. What, what do you do when it just doesn't exist? Cause right. we're, you know, we're, I'm, um, involved in a rehab right now where I pick a material and then my contractor comes back to me and says, um, you can't get those anywhere right now. Pick something else. Right. Right. <laughs> so so well, you have to be flexible right now. And that's the thing. I mean, it, I'm picking three of something oh. and say, okay, I'm good with any of these three and let me know what you can get. Ah, but, uh, yeah. And also do a, not doing as extensive rehabs has been very, very better for me right now. I mean, I really don't want to do a house that needs more than 35 or 40,000 of work because if I stay away from windows and needing air conditioning systems, I seem to be able to get pretty much everything else within four weeks. Hmm. So the key to a lot of it is just knowing what you can get and what you can't and stay away from the houses that need it all at mm -hmm. the moment. Mm -hmm. All right. So I want to extend two invitations to our listeners. The first one is, I know y'all have questions for Robin. Okay. I just know you do. So you can phone them in at 877-772-9658. Again, 877-772-9658. You can also send them via email, and that address is askvina at gmail.com. The other invitation I want to extend to you is that Robin is actually coming to Ohio in a couple of weeks, and she's going to be making two appearances one here in Cincinnati on Thursday, October the 7th, and one in Columbus on Tuesday, October the 5th. Now, the good news is you don't have to come to Cincinnati or Columbus for those. They are both simulcast meetings. They're going to be, I mean, she's going to be there in the room and you should be in there in the room. But if you're in Kansas City and being there in the room means a plane ticket, you can also watch the, uh, live stream. And trust me when I say, you'll want to see her. I mean, if you, if you've already seen her, you know why you want to see her again. But if you haven't, like this gal is the queen. I mean, there's a reason that no one has ever disputed that title. No one has ever said, no, I'm the queen of rehab. Everyone knows that it's Robin who is the queen of rehab. So to get a seat reserved at the, uh, October 7th meeting, the Thursday, October 7th meeting, you would go to CincinnatiRia.com for the October 5th meeting. You would go to CentralOhioRia.com. And we're going to take a quick break and get to your questions right after this. 
Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and my guest today is Robin Thompson. And if you know that name, you know what we're talking about. We're talking about the right now fix and flip properties market. Not not the one from two years ago, because that was different. <laughs> not the one from 10 years ago, because that was really different. We're talking about what you, what, 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 like, actual things you need to do and put into place before you go out into that market if you haven't done that yet and how to maybe tweak your business a bit if you are already in the market and you are struggling like some of the rehabbers I know, not because the deals won't sell, man, the deals will sell almost before you finish them and for more money than you were asking. It's the stuff leading up to that sale part that we're going to try to unpack with Robin today. And then when she's in Ohio in a couple of weeks, again, you got questions, askvina at gmail.com is where you would email them. Again, askvina at gmail.com or call 877-772-9658. All right, Robin, first question right out of the gate is from Tina. She says, I would like Robin to talk a little bit more about the kinds of people that she is sending mail to in order to find deals. I think I heard a couple that aren't the normal absentee owner lists. Sure. I mean, Vina, for me, I do not do absentee owners for a reason, because absentee could be that they live a mile away or five miles away. Anytime a real estate investor can go check on their properties easily and readily, that doesn't mean they're motivated. And so I like to use people that own real estate that live even further away. So I use an out-of-state owner list and that they've owned it at least seven years or longer because I like to go after deals that have large chunks of equity. Mm -hmm. Uh, You and I both know somebody bought a house last year and they did an FHA or VA mortgage and they only put 5% down and they want to sell it this year. There's not a whole lot of equity because their mortgage balance is so high. So I want to go after out-of-state owners seven years or longer. That's one of my best lists. And then one of the hot ones lately, and it's kind of strange, is the divorce list has Hmm. really heated up. I get a feeling a lot of people being trapped at home. Um, (laughs) I just discovered I don't like you after all. (laughs) Well, I hate to say it. I mean, there's been a lot of pressure with COVID in a lot of different ways on families. Um, from financial loss to whatever. And, you know, money fights are some of the the biggest challenges couples will have. Um, So that has been a really um, productive list because, you know, in today's world it takes two people to make a mortgage um, and to keep the house going. So if one of them, for whatever reason, can't make their mortgage payments, job loss or medical issues, then the house needs to get sold. So those are lists that I use. Um, And that seems to dig some profitable deals up that most people don't look at. They do, you know, non-owner occupied or absentee owner, and they're not getting as high as response rates as the other list. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So Tina, hopefully that gives you some new ideas about some different types of people to reach out with in your direct mail marketing. Also remember that it's not just the list, Tina. It's what are you the sending them? The letters. <laughs> well, you know, the other thing, Bina, that just crossed my mind, too, she might want to think about is, I mean, now the eviction list is going, the courts are going to get flooded now that the moratoriums have uh, been released. So, you know, we have a lot of landlords now that haven't been paid in a long period of time that are going to need to sell. So that was one I expect to get revved up here in the next couple months also. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Excellent. 
All right. Uh, question here from Joe, who is apparently from Hawaii. Yep. Says right. Says so right in his email footer here. He says, when you come up with your repair, remodel, rehab cost, is it in your experience wise or a mistake to price it out by the square foot? So he's, he's asking, is there, is there some rule that you use that say, well, you know, a, a big rehab is $60 a square foot and a little one's $25 a square foot? Yeah, I don't do that, Dana. I think there's a lot of room for error in that. I mean, what I have is a checklist that has got 17 different repairs to it. And it'll start out, does the house need a roof? Do you need exterior paint? Do you need interior paint? Do you need a kitchen? So everything's listed there in the 17 categories. And I just, when I go look at a house, I take it with me and I go down and fill it out. I mean, the first thing I got to look and see is the roof shot. And how bad is it? I mean, if it needs plywood, that roof's going to be more expensive than a house that doesn't need all new plywood. So I can't just throw a a price per square foot out. Mm -hmm. Uh, Every house, in my mind, stands on its own merit, where I personally go evaluate every house I buy. I walk through it and spend 15 minutes. I just looked at four today. Um, You know, different size kitchens are different amounts. Bathrooms that need done, depends on how big it is. And so I can't just throw standard numbers at any house. It also depends on how bad the house has been abused, too. If nobody has taken care of it in 40 years and there's wood rot everywhere, the numbers are going to be very different than a house that's been well-maintained that may be dated from the 1980s. And so that's why I look at every single house. I get down my 17 items, fill it all in based on how that house looks to me when I'm there and what the current cost the contractors are charging at this very moment. And that's how I estimate my repairs. And And I guess the last category that everybody, I think, underestimates is what I call miscellaneous. And that's where I put in all my doorknobs, my mini blinds, uh, any staging you plan on doing, you know, trim, crown molding, and that kind of stuff. And, I mean, some houses won't need it. It'll just need painted. And some will be wrecked, and it needs to all be replaced. So the miscellaneous category varies for me drastically from house to house. Mm -hmm. But that's why I have to look at it myself. And just not guess. I'm not big on looking at pictures either and trying to do estimates estimates without seeing it. And I'm 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 just gonna add something to your answer there because I am feeling like Joe might have been misled by some of the YouTube gurus. Mm-hmm. Because I have, I have, I, I can't tell you how many times somebody's come to me in the last couple of years with these weird numbers like, well, you know, it's a, it's a light rehab, so it's only $25 a square foot. Well, it's a heavy rehab, so it's $60 a square foot. And I'm like, wait, 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 what needs to be done? Yeah. Well, well, it's a heavy rehab. Okay, but no, no, no. <laughs> what needs to be done? And when I track down where are they getting this, they saw it on somebody's YouTube channel. And, yeah. and, and they, the, the, those, those folks often act like this is the be all and end all, right? Like I can understand using something like that for a quick, you know, I got, I got 10 leads. I got to figure out which ones I want to go look at. I can see what the owner says about them. I can, I can maybe use it as like a rule of thumb to go, Oh, this one looks really hot, but I'm not going to use it as a way to buy a house. No. And in, in fact, we did a, one of your students here locally, uh, Jerry Fink, um, did a, did an example of this for some, for a class where he said, all right, let's take this house and let's look at what the different YouTube gurus say it would cost per square foot to do this medium rehab. And then let's look at what it actually costs. 
and the numbers were all over the place on the same house. You know, one, one, one guru's estimate was like 35 grand. One was 95 grand. And the number turned out to be like 102. So they were all wrong, right? When, when you actually wow. did what you do, the numbers were all wrong. Yep. And that's exactly how people buy a house and then lose money after they get it done. It's because they just, they guess. And unfortunately, you can't guess. You really got to know what it takes to get a house renovated and what it's going to cost because what's left is your profit. And if you underestimate the repairs, like guess 35 and it turns out to be 102, you end up losing your hard-earned money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and Vina, there's no house that I buy that I don't personally look at. I mean, I went to one this afternoon. It's got structural issues. It's got sinkhole damage. The whole side of the house is all cracked. And the back end of the foundation had dipped down. It's in a beautiful neighborhood in a golf course community. You would never expect it there. But if I would have just went by pictures or looking at the pictures thinking it's a minor rehab, I would have bought something that structurally is probably uninsurable and I could never sell it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So eyes on, even after all these years, you go and do the eyes on thing because it doesn't matter how many decades you're in the real estate business, you never develop ESP. No. That, that, lets you, that lets you tell what a property's like by talking to somebody about it on the phone and seeing pictures. Um, okay, so next question up is from Danielle, and this is this is kind of along the lines of a uh, a personal stress question. She says, "I figure Robin is as good a person to ask about this as any. I am selling my very first rehab. I put it on the market for two thirty five. I got an offer within forty eight hours for two sixty five. I accepted it, of course, but the problem is I can't find any comps that would say this property is worth two sixty-five. What is Robin seeing with appraisers and the finance market? Is this house actually going to appraise for two sixty-five, or should I be staying up at night and worrying? Well, Vina, first thing I would tell her is, I guess for me, what did she plan on selling it for? I mean, if she originally figured two thirty-five. And that's what she estimated her formulas on to buy it. If she gets anything north of 235, it's a it's a blessing. Um, what I can tell you, I had one about a month ago that I thought I would get 128. We put it on at 139. It ended up it came in at 139 as far as an offer price. But when the appraiser went out, he said the most I can see is 134. And I agreed to reduce my price to 134 because I originally thought I was going to get 128. So in the end, I made $6,000 more than I thought. Mm-hmm. So you kind of got to look at it and be realistic. I mean, if she ends up getting 240 or 245 and she was hoping for 235 she still did better than what she anticipated. Mm-hmm. Um, it would also hinge on what kind of mortgage is the person going for and how much of a down payment they are putting down. I mean, if they're buying it at 265 and they're putting fifty dollars or $60,000 down, even if it doesn't appraise, the bank may let it go because the mortgage amount is significantly under, you know, under. So the appraised value. So that would be the other thing is she'd want to look at her contract and see what the finance amount is. Mm-hmm. Um, if she's already signed the contract, she's kind of going to have to kind of let it play its course at this point and see what happens. But I would tell her if she expected 235 and she gets anywhere north of that, and it say it comes in at two forty five and it appraises for two forty five, then I would let it go at the two forty five and be happy with my extra ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So Danielle, it sounds like the answer is 
don't let it keep you up at night because even if it doesn't appraise for 265 but appraises for something less than that, but the more than you thought you were going to get, it, it's not the end of the deal if it doesn't appraise. You know, no, just be realistic and not be greedy and come down. Yeah, just go back to that, that buyer and say, you know what, I really want you to have this house. So since it only appraised for 259 that will be our purchase price. It'll be right. fine, Danielle, and congratulations yeah. on getting that first deal under your belt. All right, so yeah. we need to take another quick break. Um, it seems like mostly what we're doing today is answering listener questions, although I want to talk to Robin after the break about things like finding contractors and what the heck is going on with all of that and, um, you know, supplies and systems and all that sort of stuff. But if you have questions you'd like to intervene with, 877-772-9658, 877-772-9658, or askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is the queen of rehab herself, Robin Thompson, who has, as always, been keeping her finger closely on the pulse of what is and is not working in the whole buying, fixing, and selling world. And we're, we're trying to get as much information that you want from her today before she comes here in October and has like a whole, you know, evening meeting to tell you about all of this stuff. Uh, 877-772-9658 is the number to call with your questions or askvina at gmail.com. We'll also get them here. So Robin, um, three basic categories in which I'm hearing a lot of chatter. You already dealt with one of them, which is the finding of the deals. And I know you've got, we've got this limited time frame, have to talk fast, all that kind of stuff. And I know you're going to go into that more in October, but the, the second one is the contractors. It's, it's contractors have always maybe been a little bit of a challenge, but stuff about, um, contractors who just won't even show up to give a bid contractors that come give a bid sign a contract and then want to change the price halfway through it seems like it's worse than it has ever been i would agree to that but you have to know how to handle it what i would tell you is the challenge that most people have is when they go to hire someone they let them know they're super inexperienced and they've never done it before. And so they're at the disadvantage right off the bat. And what I think you have to do is realize you're going to need to get multiple quotes. So let's say I had a roofer who passed away about nine months ago and I needed to replace that folks. So it took me eight phone calls, eight different companies to come out. And I only got three that quoted, um, and that's okay. You got to put the effort in. But once you pick a really good roofing contractor, they'll be with you for years to come. And I think that's where everybody needs to realize there's an upfront amount of investment time you need to put in. And you're going to need to get multiple bids and just know that's part of it. The second thing I would tell everybody is make sure that you give them the lead time. The really good ones that will work with you are busy. They're usually booked out four to six weeks at least, if not two months. And so that's why what I'm doing now is when I look at a house like I did today and I put it under contract tonight, I am going to set the closing 45 days out. And that being the case, if I get it under contract tomorrow, and I'm going to run my title search and all that stuff in the next three or four days, so I will literally know six, seven weeks in advance I got the house. 
that's when I start looking for the contractor so that I can give them a six to seven week window to schedule me in. Where I see a lot of students having challenges right now is that they wait till the week of closing to start looking for the folks. And, hey, I need you next week or a week after that. And what, what it does is just shows the good contractors how inexperienced you are, and they don't want to deal with that. Um, they need their schedules respected and that you go ahead and realize the good ones are going to be busy, so you've got to get it planned out in advance. And I think that's part of the challenge. The other thing, too, and I'll spend some time on it when I'm there in October, is you have to make all your decisions on what you want. And you need to give all of those lists of everything you're choosing to them right away when they come out to bid so they know which bathtub, which toilet, which vanity. And I would give them multiple choice. Like right now with the bathroom, I'm giving them, okay, here's two tub and shower units I want. Here's three possible toilet combinations that'll work. Here's two vanities and sinks I want. So figure out what you can get in the next six weeks and price that because if something you pick is not available, they can't tell you what it's going to cost because it all hinges on what you can get and what they pick. And so, I, you know, I may have wanted to do a bathroom for $3,000. It may be 4500 because what is available is much more expensive than what you wanted. And so I just think you have to be prepared for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and if so, if you can give them multiple choices, say, hey, any of these three toilets work, any of these three tubs work, any of this tile will be suffice. Well, they can see what's in stock and then give you an accurate estimate and stick to it because they know what they can get for materials versus what they can't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's important to give them the choices. So so to, to just, you know, put a put a, a final pin into this part of the conversation you're actually putting the properties under the contract on contract, making sure that the title's clear because. And I know I can close. And you already know you can close. But once, once you know the title's clear, you're going ahead and getting the contractors to the property to give you yep. bids on your scope of work that you have already prepared because you know, it's, <laughs> you, you know that they've got to have that much lead time. Yep. And that's the thing. And what they do is realize, Oh, this woman really respects, our schedule and understands us understands that we're not just sitting at home waiting on her to call and now all of a sudden it's an emergency that you need to show up next week Mm -hmm. and like they understand i've got my thumb on the pulse of the market and understand what their challenges are and so by giving them multiple things to pick from to price and bid they know they can find that stuff in the next four to five weeks Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so they can actually give a bid that they can stick to and everybody has to understand the price of materials have skyrocketed over the last year. And part of the folks are arguing with the contractors right now telling them there's no way it can cost that much. Well, you know, lumbers went up, what, 250 percent? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think part of it is they need to go to the stores and they need to look at lights and they need to look at toilets and they need to look at tubs and vanities and see how far the prices of this stuff has went up. I mean, appliances. I used to be able to do a whole kitchen for appliances for $2,100. Well, that same package is 3000 now. So part of it is the rehabber has to be smart enough and educated enough to know what the stuff costs now so that when the prices come in, that they're in line. And that's where I'm seeing a lot of rehabbers challenged. They're still thinking of old pricing, and they go out and estimate with old pricing. Then when the contractors finally give the bid and they've got the house under contract, the bids are coming in substantially higher and they want to argue with the contractor and blame them well it's not their fault it's the cost of materials have escalated that far Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Any theories about why the world seems so short of contractors right now? Well, here in Florida for us, there is new construction every corner. And I mean, not just one house here and one house there. I mean, subdivision here and subdivision there. I mean, so the demand is massive right now. And that's what I, trying to do one house at a time, has got to compete with. They can go work on plumbing for five houses or they can do plumbing for me. And that's where really understanding them and giving them the lead time is important. And then pricing and understanding where the pricing is now also so that I'm not battling that is critical. And so let me give you an example. I just did a house that was a $300,000 renovation budget. My general contractor, I got him to price drywall, installing the kitchen, and insulation. And then I said to him, look, I'm challenged for interior paint. Do you have somebody? He's like, yep. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm challenged for exterior paint. You got somebody? Yes. Understanding that when you do find somebody that works well with your personality, they probably have a handful of other folks that they've dealt with for years. That's where you find people that all work together as a solidified team. Hmm. And that's why you need to find several good ones. And if you find a good roofer, he knows a good plumber. If you find a good plumber, he's got an eight buddy who's an HVAC contractor. So once you find several, as long as you treat them right and you pay them what they ask and, you know, you work well with them, they will bring you more of the other tradesmen because if they enjoyed working with you and you were reasonable to work with and not changing your mind every 15 seconds and you can make a decision early so that they can keep moving forward quickly because time is money for those guys, um, they can get the job done quickly. But, you know, I find so many people can't make a decision on what they want and they keep changing their minds that it just drives them crazy. And they're like, I can't get anything done because until they make decisions on what they want, I'm just stuck. Mm-hmm. And they can't get paid their final draws either until they get it finished, but they can't finish because the rehabber doesn't, can't make a decision on which kitchen cabinets to order. Mm-hmm. So I think you got to really make up your mind, make their choices right or wrong, convey them to them, and then stay out of their way and let them get it done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then also you need to be ready with the money the minute they finish. Yeah, I'm sincere. Those folks trying to chase you for a week or two after they're done, that's just unacceptable behavior. Because they've got choices and there's lots of folks with the money to pay them right now. So they, they want to make sure they're dealing with people who have the money to finish the project the whole way through, not get it halfway done and run out of cash. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So those are conversations I have up front before they even start, even before I have them come out I, you know, portray to them how they're going to get paid, when they're going to get paid, and the day they finish, the money will be waiting on them. Um, for a job well done. Because you want to reward somebody for a job well done well done immediately, not have them have to get chased down to get paid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. We have another question in the askvina at gmail.com uh, inbox here. This is from Joe in Hawaii again. He says, does Robin have a sweet spot for how many bedrooms, baths, square footage, single family, et cetera, that she follows? And does she have any limits about too many or too few bedrooms, baths, square footage, et cetera. Yeah, I do. I mean, Vina, the fastest selling house in the good old USA right now is a four bedroom with at least two bathrooms. So, I mean, two or two and a half is great. With a garage in a great school district is the the magic that I look for. Now, I can't say that all my houses are that, but if I have the ability to market and direct mail to those types of subdivisions, I absolutely will. 
I mean, I'm not a big fan of doing much smaller than a three-bedroom just because I always want my house to appeal to 85% of the buying population, the buyers of the world, uh, and 85% of the buyers want three-bedroom or bigger. Um, even though I live in Florida, we have a lot of retirees here. I'm still not a big fan of the two-bedroom just because of the fact there's only 15% of the buying population willing to accept that. Hmm. So I'm three-bedroom and up, but preferably four. So the four twos with the garage. Um, and school district really matters here. Uh, we have varying degrees of schools where some of the grades for the kids are really, really not good, and we have some that are really excellent. So here, that the different test scores do influence where people want to buy. Mm-hmm. And, and let me add to the question, are you kind of in the the price range wise i know your price range down there is different than ours is up here but are are we talking about like bread and butter price range move up price range well i would answer that being it depends on what market we're in right now i can do any price range and it works but if this market starts to slow significantly let's say we start to move into a 2007 or 8 type market I will want to stay in the bread and butter, butter because FHA and VA mortgages were just as many in the recession as there were without the recession. The challenge is if we move into a market that softens, your trade-up houses where they have to sell a house to buy a house will weaken first. So I wouldn't want to get trapped in the higher price range. Um, one of my friends right now is rehabbing a house that he plans to sell for a million dollars when it's done. And I said, you better get that thing finished. Like, I would be on the contractors like there's no tomorrow getting that thing done because if the market softens, a million-dollar house will go to 800000 in the blink of an eye, mm-hmm. where a $200,000 house may drop to one ninety or one eighty, but it's not going to drop 200000 So for me, if, you know, you think the market's going to soften anytime soon, and I would say stay in the stuff where they can go from an apartment to their first house. That's the safest place to play ball. Mm-hmm. And it's the easiest, I have to say, because... Um, for me, when I deal with a first-time buyer, everything is better than the apartment. So they're just tickled pink over the moon with anything they get. The trade-up buyers, like the $800,000 house I just sold, um, they had a beautiful house, and they were relocating. So they were very, very nitpicky, and just uh, the closing was I wanted to pull my hair out. Um, <laughs> that's why they can buy anything they want and back out for any reason they want, even at closing. And so that's why, to me, I always love the first-time buyers. They're just so simple and easy to deal with and a lot less stress. So, Excellent. Excellent. Okay, we're going to take another break. If any other questions come in during that break, I will ask them of Robin. But otherwise, Robin, I want to talk to you about something that uh, I don't think a lot of people have caught on about you yet, which is that you've gotten into the business of keeping some of these houses for other reasons. And I want to kind of, kind of just explore that and the why of that and uh, whether you think other people ought to follow you down that path or not. Again, askbean at gmail.com. If you want to call in a question, it's 877-772-9658. And we'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, talking today to Robin Thompson, who, in case you missed it at the top of the show, is going to be in Ohio in a couple of weeks in Columbus on October the 5th, Tuesday night, which you could get a ticket to or maybe get a link to watch the simulcast that's happening at centralohiorea.com. And then here in Cincinnati on October the 7th, that same deal 
except it's CincinnatiRia.com, and uh, you'd probably get the idea she knows a few things about um, the rehabbing business that um, maybe you didn't see on one of those HGTV shows where everything is a barbell. It's either all sweetness, light, and profit, or it's disasters that would never happen to a real person. So if you want to get an actual look at what uh, actual experts who actually do rehabs think about the market, those would be good meetings for you to try to attend. Now, Robin, this is not a new thing. This is not something that ha- that you just decided in the last 18 months. This has been a, an evolution for you. But um, what brought it to mind is I was at a seminar last weekend where one of the uh, experts said the biggest mistake that people are making right now is selling houses. They should they should okay. they should be keeping some of their houses. All of this all of this cash profit is good, but you know you look up in five years and what do you got? A bunch of maybe cash in the bank account, but you don't have any houses. You started actually keeping some of these rehabs a few years back, but you're real specific about what it is you want to keep and why. Can you share that with us? Well. Being in my young years, because I've been in this 25 years, my young years, I bought a lot of keeper properties in the low-end price range, mm-hmm. um, and I have tenants who aged me drastically. Mm-hmm. Um, I got really fed up after I had 17 of them, and it seemed like at the end of every month, there was no money left over for all the wear and tear and damage and destruction. So I decided to pretty much liquidate that entire lower-end keeping portfolio, and I said I would never have another tenant as long as I was alive. Well, not true. Um, right after the crash in 2008, 9, and 10, a lot of the really nice houses here in Florida were at 50 cents on the dollar on the golf course. So I bought a bunch of those um, with seller financing with zero interest because everybody was motivated. And I have hung on to the majority of them over the years and got them paid off. So, And it's really nice high-caliber tenants who have not lost their job, who paid all through COVID uh, without trying not to. So that worked out really well. And then what I did is I took a few of them that were free and clear, and I 1031 exchanged them into vacation rentals. And the vacation rentals, the short-term nightly rental business, really does earn three times what a normal rental property will bring. And it's been extremely profitable for me. Um, this year, we've had over 1,500 stays so far. Uh, and it's a lot easier business than I ever dreamt. And I do run it from my phone. So I would tell folks, if you got something nice in a neighborhood that's close to a hospital, close to a university, close to a Navy base or any military base, you might want to think about keeping it and actually furnishing it and see what you can get per night. Um, I've got stuff that I started out with at $99 a night, and I have stuff now that goes for over $600 a night. Mm. And, uh, you know, I thought it would be a lot of work and a lot of cleaning up after people and washing sheets and all that stuff, but I realize now having a really good cleaning company is my key players, and so they basically handle everything. So I take reservations over the phone with what's called an Instabook, and then we send the cleaning schedule out, and the next thing you know, that's it, and it's a simple business. So I would tell you if if you got some stuff in really good areas that are attractive to a lot of things to do, I would hang on to them because it's the 
most profitable side of the business I've seen in 25 years. Mm-hmm. And, and you said, <laughs> sorry, my microphone keeps falling away from my face. <laughs> you, you, you said something that I, I'm hoping people didn't miss at, at the beginning of that of that, you know, evolution from uh, low in rentals, which uh, made me old, sold them all, said I'd never do it again, started buying high end rentals. I like that. I liked that a lot better and then traded some of those into a different kind of investment property. The important thing that you said there was those first high end rentals were seller finance deals. Yeah. Yeah, they were. So, um, so, so this isn't, this isn't, uh, Robin did not just say, hold on to that 14% hard money loan and try and rent the property. Oh, That's no. not what she oh, said. No. Oh no, 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 no. I mean, you know, Vina, as well as I did in 2007, eight and nine, 10, we had folks who would love to try to sell a house and they just couldn't, and, you know, beautiful homes that were on the market for three or four months. So what I did is I cherry picked the ones that I liked. And I would offer them, you know, like 270000 with a chunk of money down. And then, okay, I can pay you, you know, $2,000 a month for 110 months, let's say. And then what I would do is rent it for more. Um, there are lots of folks who want to rent that are doctors and vice presidents at the bank and uh, financial planners, retired military. I didn't realize there were so many folks that were very well on the income side who do not want to own. I mean, we're real estate investors. We want to buy up everything, but that's not the average person. Uh, a lot of folks that are in corporate America that think they could be transferred in three or four years to the other end of the country to run a division do not want to own a house because they don't want to have the challenge of selling it in two weeks if they get relocated. Uh, and a lot of the retirees don't want to buy either. They would like to sell their stuff and rent a very beautiful house so that if something happens that they, you know, pass away, their kids don't have a house to liquidate. And so I just did not realize that the demand was 10 times the supply for the really nice stuff. And they take really good care of it, and they respect it. You don't have the wear and tear. They're not breaking stuff. You know, it's just a lot easier business with a lot less stress and a lot more profit. Mm-hmm. And if you do the... If you do the marketing that you were talking about at the beginning of the mm-hmm. of the hour, you're going to get some deals that just accidentally come in where right. they're not retail deals. They're too nice. <laughs> they, right. they don't need enough work. And uh, while, you know, it's it's not 2010 and you're probably not going to buy them at half price, you can nope. still buy them with zero percent owner financing or by taking over somebody's three percent loan, which is practically zero percent financing. Mm-hmm. Right. In itself. So, you know, even even the queen of rehab has more than one thing that she does with her properties, because if you got deals coming in, it's going to be it's going to represent all kinds of deals. So, Robin, we have about five minutes left. Can you fill us in on anything else that you've noticed that's like different about the buyers, the market, the the materials people are expecting? I always like to hear you say, oh, like the hottest new thing that everybody seems to want is these rainfall showers. I know that that one particular example is 15 years old, but I remember you saying that in a class and I've put rainfall showers in ever since then. Anything else that folks should know that that if they haven't dipped their toe in the market for two years would be different for them? Well, the appliance packages right now are the big to-do for us here. I mean, the refrigerator that you can actually check in with it from your grocery store and say, hey, Siri, do I have milk? And it'll actually look (laughs) in the refrigerator and tell you if you need it. 
seems to be the rage in the homes, 300,000 and up. Um, you know, and I never thought for one minute, Fina, that I would put a refrigerator in a house that was $3,000. Uh, but that's what they want. They want the technology. And, you know, so that's one of the things that's a good good thing to put in for a selling feature if you really want to take it over the top. The other thing is the new ovens that are out with the air fryer capability mm-hmm. for the health conscious is another thing that uh, we've been using lately that seems to do really well. So we've upgraded the appliance package, probably spending twelve or thirteen hundred dollars more than we ever have, uh, and that seems to be when we're in a competitive bid situation, so bidding war, which is every house that's ready right now. It really will send them into the frenzy if you have that. Um, I don't want to say there's no end in price on what they're willing to pay, but if you want to try to get fifteen or twenty thousand dollars above what you're asking, that's one of the bonuses. Uh, the other thing we've switched up to is no more ceramic tile. We're really using travertine in all the bathrooms. Uh, it's a dollar more a foot. But what we're finding is that since it is exotic and most of the buyers have never, ever seen it, that causes a bidding frenzy also. Hmm. Um, and so it appears to be that it's a lot more expensive than it actually is if you get it wholesale. Uh, so that's one of the things we've switched off the tile. Uh, and stayed away from that so much anymore. And so that's helped out quite quite a bit, too. Hmm. Uh, the other thing I can tell you is what's great right now is your vinyl plank flooring. There's so many choices now. There's 50 to 60 choices when there used to be 10. So you can do some creative stuff with that, too, uh, because the color schemes have definitely changed mm-hmm. uh, and really helped out with that from a decoration point of view. So those are probably the three things that I would say. Um, pick something that somebody hasn't seen before. So <laughs> give it your house with a unique perspective and that will help you even push the price even higher. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Remember, remember back in the days, you know, of, of 2009, 10 and 11, when we were having this exact same conversation, only you were saying, I never thought I would put a granite countertop in a $125,000 house, but that's what it yep. takes to sell them. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, the good news is today, if they're selling, I hate to say, I don't want to say no matter what, because that is not true, but uh, it's, definitely interesting how no matter what it is it goes on the market and is gone within hours i mean the little house that i just sold that uh, i thought was worth 128 i paid 90 and put four thousand dollars into it um it's just amazing what people are willing to pay for things right now because there's no supply everything is demand and no supply so while it's this way i would tell everybody to rehab as many as you can and get them to marketplace Amen. And we're going to help them do even more of that in the first week of October when you are here in Ohio. People can come live and should because uh, I forgot to mention that the meetings before the live meetings is called Meet the Money. And we're going to have a networking meeting so that all of our members who have money that they're trying to put into deals can meet all of our members who have rehabs that they need to put money into. So... Live is a really good option. Uh, CentralOhioRia.com for October the 5th. CincinnatiRia.com would be where you would get a ticket for October the 7th. Uh, those are guest nights, by the way, so nobody pays to come see Robin. Appreciate you, Robin. See you in a couple weeks. All right. Well, thanks for having me. We'll, thanks for the time. I appreciate it. You bet. We'll be back next week to put with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.